Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. If you're a medical device professional, what does your EQMS, what's it doing for you? If it's paper-based, I can tell you what it's not doing, and that's helping you accelerate the delivery of your life-changing medical devices to patients who need them most. Paper-based quality management system, it, it always sounds like a, uh, um, almost like an oxymoron. How is your QA team going to achieve true quality if they're still chasing engineers for signatures or searching for the needle in a stack of papers? Greenlight Guru is the only quality and product development platform designed and to support medical device companies throughout their commercialization journey. That's because we're from the medical device industry ourselves. If you're looking to deliver high-quality, life-saving devices to market on an average of three times faster, contact Greenlight Guru today to start the conversation. Hello, Global Medical Device Podcast fans and listeners. This is John Spear, founder of Greenlight Guru. I'm sure you've noticed by now that Etienne Nichols, one of our medical device gurus, has been doing a fantastic job with most of the new podcast episodes. So I thank him for that. I know he is excited about that and it's really diving in deep on some topics. But, you know, from time to time, I'm still here. Time to time, uh, I'll still be hopping on uh, episodes. And this is one where I sit down and chat with Mike Drews with Vascular Sciences, again, a name and face that that I'm sure many of you are very familiar with. You know, I've done literally dozens, probably. I don't even know. We'll just leave it at dozens. Without rambling any further, I want to introduce today's topic. Mike and I uh, sit down and chat about Kappa. And specifically, uh, we talk about, uh, or we propose this idea of you as a medical device company and your quality systems probably should, or actually Mike correct me and I'll correct myself. You need to highly consider doing a kappa on your kappa process. Uh, why? Well, without spoiling uh, what you're about to listen to, kappa is the number one reason why companies get 43 observations and warning letters year after year after year. It's, it's the top. It has been, I think, for like 10 years or something like that. So clearly, we as an industry are failing to understand something. So uh, we offer some tips and pointers. So I hope you enjoy this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Joining me today is a familiar face and voice, Mike Drews, president of Vascular Sciences. So Mike, welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. Thank you, John. Always a pleasure to speak with you and your audience. Absolutely. You and I have talked about you know, some quality system stuff from time to time. And I think even what we're about to dive in today, I think we've talked about here and there about uh, Kappa. And I guess for those listening at home, uh, hopefully you know this, but the FDA data might suggest you don't. Kappa is uh, an acronym for corrective action and preventive action. And I think it's important for us to talk about because, well, we'll dive into it, but year after year after year, FDA publishes their data from uh, FDA inspections, 43 observations, warning letters, and whatnot. And it's always interesting to see, you know, what makes it to the top of issues from industry. And I guess it's still kind of surprising to me that, that the number one issue is, was, is Kappa. Companies are struggling with Kappa. And I don't entirely understand that, but that's sort of the frame of our conversation today. So uh, anything you'd like to add before we dive in, Mike? 
Well, just uh, to amplify a little bit further, John, and to, to start out slightly broad, uh, more broadly, putting this in perspective. So over the last five years, 2017 to 2021, the five most common reasons why FDA issued 43 observations and warning letters were number one, CAPAS. That's obviously the topic of today's conversation. Number two, customer complaints. Number three, purchasing controls under the general topic of supplier management. Yeah. Number four, medical device reporting or MDR procedures. And finally, number five, process validation. Those are the five most common reasons why FDA has uh, issued 43 observations and warning letters over the last five years. We're going to dig into in a fair amount of detail today in today's discussion the number one reason Kappa and why you 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 said a moment ago, John, you kind of struggled as to why you know this continues to be such a problem. I have some thoughts on that, but perhaps in future discussions we might take a similar dive into some of these other. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, most common reasons because these things have been around. You know, these have been part of the quality system requirements pretty much since the beginning of time. And yet companies still get in trouble. You know, over, over, and over. It's kind of I hate to say it, John, but it's kind of Einstein's definition of insanity: doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Yeah. My slightly slight spin on Einstein, not like I'm the top Einstein, but Einstein said, you know, uh, do the same thing. Over over and over and expecting the same result. What I say, thinking the same way over and over and expecting a different result. I think a lot of this is about the thinking, but we're going to dive into specifically the number one reason for 43 observations and warning letters, and that is CAPAs. Does that make sense? Well, absolutely. I mean, and I think what's interesting about that top five list, at least three of those five, the CAPA, the complaints and MDRs, which to me, MDR is sort of a uh, a variant of, of a complaint in a manner of speaking, but those are all measures of like effectiveness of a company's quality system and their practices. And in fact, I think it, I'm, I hope I'm quoting this right, but I think it comes from the former Global Harmonization Task Force, which is now known as INDRF, but they had a guidance document and I think it's still published. I don't think they've changed it in years as a GHTF guidance about CAPA. And I think, and I'm going to paraphrase this because I don't remember the, the quote exactly, but it talks about how CAPA is, how robust or how effective a company's CAPA system is a measure of how effective their quality management system is. So I guess one could, could postulate that if CAPA is the number one reason why, why companies are getting 43s and, and warning letters, then that might indicate they don't have a very effective quality system. Indeed, John, you asked the question, you know, what is the etiology of the word effectiveness here? That's a good question. I don't know off the top of my head. But the reason why I like that word is because it reminds me of a very similar word, something that most of us in the medical device industry are very familiar with, and that is efficacy. Yeah. So what is the efficacy of our CAPA system, or as you alluded to a moment ago, what is the efficacy of our entire quality management system? Right. To get to that, I have some suggestions, you know, for our company friends you know, as we'll, as we'll get to further in our discussion, but specifically, how do you measure the effectiveness or what I call the efficacy of your CAPA system or of your entire uh, QMS? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, let's dive into some of that. I mean, I don't want to insult anyone's intelligence. You know, there is, if you want to learn more, or hopefully you already know this, but if you want to read up on what 
the FDA QSR says about Kappa, I believe it's in 820.100. And then uh, the parallel to that, boy, this is a test. Don't quote me on this one, but I know there are <laughs> sections in ISO 13485. I think it's 8.5.3 and 8.5.4, but don't quote me on that one. It's definitely in 13485, 2016. But if you compare and contrast ISO and FDA verbiage with respect to Kappa, you know, by and large, it's pretty similar. But, you know, in my way of thinking about it, what is a Kappa? Well, things happen. You know, I mean, in, in the course of running our business, I mean, just think of everyday life. Everyday life, we go through processes and routines and things that we do, whether that be go to the grocery store or change your oil or, you know, fill up our gas tank and that sort of thing. Maybe I shouldn't have brought up gas. It might be a sensitive topic these days. But, <laughs> um, but we're following a process. And, you know, sometimes when in, in the midst of following that process, maybe something didn't go the way that it routinely goes. And so you're like, oh, well, that's interesting. That's, that's some sort of event. But when that event happens, you have to, I, I think, you, I, at least I think about this. I don't know if the average person does. I have to think, okay, is that thing that just happened that I did not expect is that something that's going to happen the next time I do this process? And maybe it's just an anomaly. Maybe it's, you know, one-time occurrence. But the next time I do that, if that happens again, I have to scratch my head and I have to think, maybe there's something going on here. Maybe something has changed about the, the dynamics, uh, you know, pertaining to this particular process. Maybe I need to revise my process. Maybe I need to take a closer look at what I was doing. Maybe, you know, this has always been there, whatever the case may be. But, but Kappa is an opportunity to really do a deep dive investigation to determine, is there a systemic issue that is influencing that process that you're following? Well, John, I think that was a, a great commonsensical explanation uh, to what is a Kappa and when should they be used. I think coming back to the, the question that you asked sort of rhetorically at the beginning of our discussion, why does Kappas remain the, the top reason for warnings in 483 for at the last five years, probably more, is because people don't focus on the, the commonsensical understanding. In other words, if we were to take what you said and then just share um, in a little bit of detail what the actual regulation says in 21 CFR 820-100A, you forgot the A, John. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I'm not impressed by people that memorize what those regulation numbers are. Quite frankly, I could care less. What I'm much more interested in is do they understand the regulation? And most importantly, do they understand the intent of the regulation? So there are actually five requirements in that particular section of the CFR. I'll just read the first one. Investigating, these are the capital requirements right out of the QSR regulation. Uh, investigating the cause nonconformities relating to products, processes, and quality system. Mm -hmm. That in and of itself is something that we could dive into a little bit because CAPAs are not limited to just the device itself, problems related to the right. device. They also can include the processes related to them. And I'm not talking about just the manufacturing process. You know, John, as I've said in some of our discussion before, regulation is about two things, uh, the interpretation of words and our ability to defend our interpretation. So how do you def interpret the word process? 
right? One interpretation is the manufacturing process, but that's a pretty limited connotation. There are a lot of other processes as well. And then the third thing that the regulation specifically says is uh, investigating nonconformities of the quality system. This is, you know, the sort of the title of today's discussion. Does your kappa need a kappa, right? You have a kappa system in place because I assume that your QMS ticks those regulatory requirements. But how do you know if it works? It obviously doesn't work in a lot of cases because, as we've said, that's the number one reason why FDA issues 43 observations and, and warning letters. The other requirements, just very, very quickly, and we can provide a link for our audience, John. I don't want to bury people in the, the regulatory minutia, but this is what, in my opinion, is the root cause of why so many people, so many companies, because they focus on the words, they don't try to understand yes. the meaning. Yes. Identifying the action or actions needed to correct and prevent the reoccurrence of a non-conformed product or other quality issue, that's the second requirement. The third of the three of the five requirements is verifying or validating a CAPA to ensure that it is effective and does not adversely affect the finished uh, device. In other words, how do you know that your corrective action indeed corrected or solved the problem? Many companies that I work with, they either come up with a solution that doesn't in fact solve a problem, or they come up with a solution that solves that problem at the same time it creates a new problem. Right. So it's that whole verification validation, just like we do with medical devices. We're applying the same regulatory logic, John, something that I talk about a lot, to the system, in this case, to the CAP system. Finally, the last two requirements, and then I'll pause and let you chime in here, amplify you know, or exa provide examples to whatever you want. Implementing and recording changes in methods and procedures needed to correct and prevent the identified quality problems. By the way, when I have difficulty reading something, just right out of the regulation, maybe that's indicative of part of the problem as well, because normal people don't speak this way. Right. And unless regulation, I say this to my customers all the time, unless regulation makes sense, I don't care what the regulation is, unless it makes sense, it is not good regulation. And finally, the last uh, requirement, out of the CFR, no editorializing, ensuring that information related to quality problems or to a non-conforming product is disseminated to those directly responsible for assuring the quality of the product or preventing the problem. That one is a little bit easier to understand, but unfortunately, that's something that a lot of companies fall down on as well. So those are the, those are are that's actually what the regulation says, and I'm happy to provide a link for the audience to you didn't catch all of what I just read, but that's not the important point. Anything in there, John, that resonated with you? Anything that you wanted to, to, to throw some gasoline on? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the whole root cause piece, right? I think I'm just thinking about when, you know, I was more uh, in the trenches at uh, working for medical device companies. And, you know, of course, the numerous companies I interact with on, on a fairly frequent basis, I think one of the, you know, to your point, maybe we do need to do a CAPA on our CAPA process. My, when maybe, I John, why would you say MAPA? Why would you say maybe? <laughs> <laughs> okay, we need to do a CAPA on our CAPA <laughs> process. But one of the things I've observed over the years, uh, numerous companies, this isn't uh, an isolated uh, occurrence by any stretch of the imagination, is a couple things. I think, first and foremost, people look at CAPA as almost like a bad word, like, oh, we got another kappa, or you know, or that sort of thing. So, the, so there's a lot of negative um, head trash and connotations that that um, people associate with with a kappa. Well, 
my way of looking at it is a kappa is an opportunity to improve something about what we're doing or some product we have or some process that we have. It's that opportunity to improve. But I think once, you know, a kappa is initiated, uh, I think this contributes to, to part of the issue is a lot of times companies have like KPIs or some sort of metrics in place uh, with respect to their to their quality system and quality objectives and whatnot. And oftentimes and all far too many times, one of those is usually the amount, the, the time to close a kappa. You know, I've seen so, so many companies that will have, you know, one of their quality metrics that says close a kappa within 90 days. Well, that's kind of absurd and we can get into that here in a moment, but because there's that, you know, it's a negative thing. Um, it, it's probably extra work that we didn't budget for or allocate resources for. I've already got too much on my plate to begin with. And, oh, by the way, here, uh, do this kappa in your spare time, which, you know, you may have little or no spare time. And I know that there's this time pressure, right? And so, like, I got to hurry, 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 hurry. So I'm, I'm reacting, reacting, reacting. And I don't really do a very good job of a root cause. I just kind of, oftentimes, I just restate the problem. And I start throwing things at it, you know, oh, let's do this, let's do that, let's change this word, let's do this, let's update that thing. I'm just, I'm just throwing things at it, uh, at, at the issue, in hopes, and, and sometimes I think there is this, there's a lot of finger crossing that happens, in hopes that the things that I throw at it will make it go away. Uh, and I think that's, um, I think that's a big part of the problem. I think that's a big reason why we see this percolate to the top year after year after year with 43s and warning letters. Well, John, you just went through an awful lot there and we could, you know, peel back many layers of that onion. And I want to do that a little bit, but I also want to get on to some specific examples of what led to 43 observations and warning letters dealing with CAPAs. But regrettably, I do agree with you. I do think there's a lot of truth to um, what a lot of people in our industry think of CAPA. They think of this as bad word or a bad phrase, I think, because they think that this is going to be a very laborious or arduous kind of a process. But I also think that, you know, you, you said it's an opportunity to improve. I agree. It's, you know, coming from, um, uh, as you, some of your audience know, John, I used to teach medical school. So putting a clinical spin on this, a kappa is sort of the equivalent, substantially equivalent, if you will, to a morbidity and mortality conference, an M&M conference, which basically is, uh, you know, if you have uh, a, a suboptimal event and a suboptimal event is, is a fancy way of something saying something didn't work. But if we said say that we didn't work, we couldn't bill for it. So instead we call it a suboptimal event. It sounds a little bit better. Um, but an M&M conference is an opportunity to, you know, for physicians or surgeons to get into a room and to literally take the gloves off and duke it out and talk about the good and bad and the ugly for a bunch of reasons, not the least of which is to try to prevent these problems from happening again in the future. And that in essence is, you know, uh, what a, a kappa is supposed to be. You also mentioned that a lot of companies will have some sort of a metric like kappas be closed in you know 90 days or whatever the number is. On one hand, I understand why companies will do that, but on the other hand, I am adamantly against having you know numerical values like that because yes. in some circumstances, a kappa might be able to be closed in a very very short period of time, uh, and it might have to be closed in a very clear very um, uh, short period of time. In other cases, you know, 90 days, three months might not be long enough. 
to do a a thorough investigation and come up with a, you know, a preventative action and so on and so on. Uh, And finally, and the problem most importantly, John, and maybe this is a topic of a different discussion, but the most important things that you mentioned is uh, part of going through the procedure is to identify the root cause of the problem. Well, let me tell you, I hear a lot of people talking about the root cause. Very rarely do they get to what I, as a professional biomedical engineer and regulatory consultant, would call the root cause. They're usually dancing around the surface. You know, the root cause, I hate to say present company excluded, I'm sure, John, but the root cause of most of the problems that we face is what's between the ears. You know, it's the thinking process that gets us there. But anyway, um, if you want to, you know, respond, John, feel free. Otherwise, we can go on to some specific examples for our audience. Yeah, let's just go on into some examples. I think that might hopefully help connect some dots and turn on some light bulbs for a few folks. Okay, perfect. So I have three specific examples that I'd like to share, and maybe we can discuss with the, uh, uh, between the two of us. These are CAPA issues that were noted in either 40 observations or warning letters for, from the FDA. Uh, they're fairly short. I'll read each one, and then we can talk about it. The first one is failure to follow a procedure where any employee discovering a quality incident is required to initiate a corrective action. Failure to follow a procedure where any employee discovering a quality incident is required to initiate a corrective action. This is something that FDA cited that led to a warning letter for this particular company. Thoughts involving a cap. Thoughts on on that one, John? Yeah, so some thoughts. So what I'm hearing from this or from the, from the, the citation from FDA is it sounds like the company had a procedure defined that anyone in that company who identified an issue could surface or, or escalate that matter to a CAPA. I'm guessing they, this is speculation, of course, but I'm guessing the, the FDA investigators saw evidence that people, somebody in the organization had an issue, identified an issue in their, whatever their processes or their, their roles were that didn't result in a CAPA. And, and so that's probably saying, hey, your procedure says when you find something, doesn't matter who you are, where, what level you work in that company, you can raise your hand and say, hey, this is a CAPA. And that probably wasn't the case. Um, so I guess first piece of advice for companies do what you say you're going to do in your procedures. Now, I don't think that a procedure, a CAPA procedure needs to be that specific that says anyone can issue a CAPA, but I think you need to have a a very, um, I'll say a culture of quality that encourages people to communicate when there are issues, you know, and I don't mean to be demeaning and hopefully this, this comes out. Okay. But, but, you know, the, the person on the manufacturing floor, you know, they know X, Y, Z about manufacturing. They may not understand bigger picture quality system practices and, and whatnot. They may not be skilled and, and experts with Kappa. But if they have an issue, they need to be encouraged to say, hey, Mike, I, I'm making this thing, this widget, and uh, these parts don't go together anymore. There's an issue here. Like, that needs to be encouraged. 
Um, and that needs to be escalated appropriately. And, and hopefully there's someone or, or an entity or a group or a board or something that receives that information and can start to assess, okay, and do this investigation. It, 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 you know, dive in a little bit deeper. Why is this happening? Why are these parts that used to fit together? Why are they not fitting together anymore? I mean, that question why I think is really, really important um, with respect to identifying and triaging and investigating issues. But that's my ra- reaction to that, that first example. Well, that's a great start, John. Uh, before we move on to the next example, let's, let's dig into that a tiny bit further. Uh, just a moment ago, we talked about root cause. Mm-hmm. So as a biomedical engineer, I spend a lot of my time thinking about root cause. What is the root cause of the problem? Failure to follow a procedure. Well, let's assume for the sake of discussion that the company did follow the procedure. The next question you asked at the end of your last comment, John, why? Why did the company or why did the people in the company not follow the procedure? Is it that they didn't follow the procedure because they didn't know there was a procedure? Yep. This is an example I see so many times companies where employees don't know what is in their own management system. And I've got several examples, I'm sure you do as well, where I have pointed out sections of the company's own QMS. I'll share with you one quick example, John. I was reviewing a company's quality management system. And in it, pardon me, I saw references to products, to devices that that company did not make. And I said, um, I asked the company, I said, hey, uh, you know, do you make this particular device? And they said, no, Mike, why do you ask? And I said, because you've got procedures for it in your own quality management system, which to me is no better uh, example of somebody copying and pasting, you know, yeah. from one somebody else's QMS and, and, and worse. At least my graduate students will usually read what they're copying and pasting before they actually paste it to see if it's actually applicable. Right. You, you're laughing, John, but this is what I've run into. I don't want to say every day, but more common than you might think. So is it that the company the procedure and the uh, and the comp- and the employees didn't know about it, or is it that they didn't even have the procedure? Right. And this is exactly the kind of question that I love to give my attorney friends during discovery, John. As you know, I've before I spent some of my time working in as an expert witness device product liability case, uh, because no matter what answer the company gives, it's not going to make them look good. Either they didn't have a procedure, and so why didn't you have a procedure, or they did have a procedure and people didn't follow it, so why didn't they know about it? Right. Go on. So this is exactly what I mean by what is the root cause of the problem. Does that make sense? 100%. I mean, that, that highlights that, you know, you know, why the first answer to a why question uh, might be well, well, you know the person didn't know that that procedure existed. Oh, well, why not? Well, uh, we didn't train them on it. We didn't share it with them. Whatever you can keep going on and on and on. But yeah, I, I think and let me go just yeah. let me go just one step further, and then we'll move on to the next example. Since you just said you can go on and on and on and on, well, indeed you can go on and on and on and on. Because the last part of what was what I reported in this uh, problem, which by the way, not hypothetical, it's real. I didn't mention any specific companies or devices, but it's a real uh, citation. Um, uh, this occurred. When uh, the incident, quote, the incident is required to initiate a corrective action, required to initiate uh, a corrective action. Well, what exactly were the requirements? Are these requirements specified in detail? Under these circumstances, a kappa needs to be uh, started 
And under the other circumstances, a kappa does not need to be started and so on. How clear is that verbiage in the company's own quality management system? In my experience, John, feel free to either agree or disagree. A lot of companies, either they don't mention it at all. For example, um, what criteria does the company use when a complaint should go on to start a kappa? Uh, And what situations do, what situations do not? Does the company in the QMS, do they provide examples? Um, uh, just as a, as a side note, I happen to teach a two-day course on post-market surveillance and complaint handling. And in that course, we don't just talk about what the regulatory requirements are, because anybody that's graduated elementary school could read the word. What I spent a lot of time talking about is talking about <clears throat> having those requirements uh, in your from when a, when a complaint you know goes on to become a kappa and specifically what the requirements are and do does the company update or revise these requirements from time to time or did they just create them once five years ago and they never touched them again so these are all the things you know when you said on and on and on I know you met that sort of metaphorically but I took that as literally yeah I mean I think that's a good point because if a procedure is ambiguous about when and what and how to treat, an event, there's no, you can, I guess there is a guarantee. You can guarantee that there will be, that will be left up to each person's interpretation of what to do. Uh, yeah, I remember years ago, I took a, a GMP training and the instructor used as an example, since you mentioned procedures, a uh, procedure, an SOP for scrambling eggs, right? Everybody can, knows how to scramble eggs. So on one hand, you can write a one-step procedure get some eggs, uh, crack them into a pan and cook them. Or you could write a 5,000-page procedure where you specify the genomic makeup of the chicken to come from, the direction that you stir them, and, and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Right? So what detail? You know, that's not a trivial question. Let's move on to the next example, John. Uh, A firm did not initiate a kappa in response to multiple complaints. A firm did not initiate a kappa uh, in in response to multiple complaints. And by the way, for uh, for the benefit of our audience, to let John off the hook, I haven't shared with him in advance these specific examples. Yeah. So I'm kind of hitting him hook cold. What do you think about this one, John? A firm did not initiate a kappa in response to multiple complaints. Uh, a couple of reactions. <clears throat> First is I always look. Well, I guess a little prelude to that. In industry and practice, I've seen, um, we'll say, two basic predominant flavors, if you will, of, of approach to kappa. Um, one is overuse of kappa, like every single event triggers a kappa. Uh, I don't know. The boy who, caught, who cried wolf. Yeah. Who cried wolf, yeah. Um, you know, in fact, I think someone, someone out there has even coined the phrase death by kappa. That's yep. certainly a way to do that. Um, and then the other extreme is like, uh, uh, the opposite It's like, um, uh, almost never or using Kappa system at all. But I look at Kappa is it's a, it's a mechanism to handle systemic issues. Um, so as I hear you read that, that particular item from FDA, that citation, I mean, would they say three or there's certainly multiple, right? Multiple, yeah. multiple complaints. Um, which would imply to me probably definitely more than one, probably more than two. Um, that says that almost says there's a systemic issue happening here with this product, and and whenever there's a systemic issue, uh, that's uh, an ideal situation or candidate for a kappa. 
the other thing that I have to wonder in this case is, did companies in this case say, once we hit X number of complaints on this product, it's the trigger cap, but that could be another piece that was defined there. And back to to the point you were making earlier, maybe that company actually did define uh, when something needs to be escalated to cap and they didn't follow it. But either way, I mean, think of cap as a means to to address systemic issues. Well, I I like the the systemic approach or, you know, it's sort of a riff on the root cause kind of a issue that we talked about a moment ago. Again, though, I personally, I'm troubled when companies put in their specific numerical requirements after three complaints or after five complaints or whatever it is. Because first of all, we have to be careful about overgeneralizing when it comes to complaints. Some complaints are very, very significant. Others are are not. You know, if it's cosmetic defect, you know, somebody calls you up and complains because the, the, the housing of your device has a little scratch on it or or something like you know quite frankly i could care less you know from a safety and efficacy perspective but it also in terms of frequency we have to be careful first of all you know we all know how big of a problem underreporting is this industry so if you have a small number of complaints and you assume you're doing a good job can you assume that your device is all working as intended i would never make that assumption you know the late great Carl sagan said that the absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. As you and I have talked about before, John, here's a uh, statistic from my um, uh, PMS and complaint handling course that I mentioned a moment ago. Uh, only three to five percent of adverse events of medical devices, only three to five percent of them are actually reported to the manufacturer or to right. the FDA. And I can provide references to that uh, as part of the podcast if, if people want. Well, if you spin that statistic the other way, if I don't embarrass myself with the arithmetic, 95 to 97% of adverse events are never reported. So just because you don't have that many complaints doesn't necessarily mean that your devices are are, are working as they're supposed to be. Yeah. Years ago, one of my best friends who happens to be a senior VP of quality and regulatory uh, at a Fortune 50 medical device company, he and I were were very good friends in graduate school. Uh, he he and I met for dinner when we got into sort of a philosophical question about Kappas and what's the ideal number four kappas you know some people might say if you have zero kappas is that a good thing well maybe that just means that you're not you know you're not doing your homework some people might say you know if you have a whole lot of kappas is that you know a good thing or a bad thing you know that might mean you know you're you're crying wolf too many times or that that you're being really diligent in your investigations well if zero and you know a whole bunch are not you know are not are neither one of them are desirable that sort of implies that there's some number in between that would be the ideal number of caps right uh, logically that makes sense but in reality i don't think that's a, a good way to think about it so anyway what does multiple complaints mean and what kind of complaints let's move on to the third example john no documentation exists explaining why a kappa was not initiated upon learning of a problem no documentation exists explaining why a kappa was not created upon learning about a problem. This is, I'll start off stuff on this one, John, and then if you want, you know, feel free to, to chime in. Um, but this is a riff, you know, when I go to the FDA with precepts, as you and I have talked about before, I justify not just what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, but I also justify what I'm not doing and why I'm not doing it. This is exactly the same re- regulatory logic here. If you're going to have a kappa, 
based on a complaint or something. Here's our kappa, and this is the reason why we're having a kappa. Similarly, it makes sense to me if you get a complaint or a series of complaints, and for whatever reasons, you are not going to have a kappa. I'm not suggesting that that's a, the right decision or the wrong decision, but you need to um, explain and you need to document why you're not having a kappa. Because if what's the old adage from the GMP trading, John, if it didn't, if it wasn't documented, it didn't happen. Yeah. Right. So put yourself and I would love to hear your thoughts on this, John, put yourself in the shoes of an FDA inspector. They see a complaint or maybe in some cases, a series of complaints. There's no kappa that seems to go along with that complaint. The question is why? Mm-hmm. Did you not start a kappa because you don't know what a kappa is <laughs> and therefore you didn't start one? Did you not do a kappa because you did some sort of an investigation and you determined that a kappa is not necessary? You have uh, the, the inspector or the FDA reviewer, they have no idea. Right. Don't document just what you did. Also document what you didn't do and why you didn't do it. Does that make sense, John? Or do you think I'm maybe smoking my socks here? Well, I don't think you're smoking your socks about that. So yes, it, it does make sense. And you know, to kind of continue it a little bit, um, I suspect a lot of folks out there, they probably have some sort of form or template or something for for various quality events, whether that be a manufacturing nonconformance or deviation or complaint or what have you. And, you know, I bet a lot of those forms have a little a question on that on, on that form that says it is a cap required and it probably has a little tick box for yes or a tick box for no um and that's exactly why i hate forms with like a, a yes know. or no question kind of well, like I, the 510k uh, the 510k uh uh substantial equivalence flow chart from fda where it asks you those series of six yes or no questions i never answer them with a yes or no only. I always say yes, dot, 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 or no, Absolutely. dot, dot, dot. Well, and I think that's the key thing for folks, you know, regardless of what your answer is, explain and, and justify and support your answer um, with corroborative evidence. Um, you know, you like in elementary school, when your teacher says, show your work, show your work, you know, two plus two equals four. Okay. Show me how you got to four. <laughs> right. right. Um, but I, th- I think it's that, that issue, like, you know, you mentioned that if somebody says no and, and, and moves on and FDA investigator like looks at it and, and questions that there's no rationale or explanation as to why that's that's one scenario. But, you know, I've been guilty of of making a decision about something myself and then coming back and, and looking at the item and like, man, what why did I how did I come to that conclusion? You know, you know, maybe it's the next day, but usually it's some time has passed. Like, how did I come up with that? that rationale. And if I didn't keep good notes, who knows, right? So the the notes are not just important from an FDA perspective, but it's important for your own internal communication perspective. And, you know, I guess to, to, to use or to, to think of a hypothetical, maybe that first thing that happened, maybe you had a complaint on a product and you were going through your form and you come to that question on your form that says, is a cap required? Yes or no. And you say, no, and you provide that explanation. Well, let's imagine maybe a few months later, you have another complaint for a similar or same type of issue. And now, you know, you're going to hopefully try to pull all other complaints that are similar to or related to this, this issue because it's happened before. And, you know, now you can look back as to why you made decisions then and, and use that as inputs into how you're making decisions now. So just without... The details, it's impossible to make informed decisions. 
I could not agree more, John. And to, to illustrate a parallel, I, I know that there are many people in our audience who listen to our podcast, not just this podcast, but uh, a lot of our podcasts, and I'm very grateful for that. You probably hear that there are some recurring themes through a lot of these discussions. And one is, you know, what I like to focus on regulatory logic. What John and I are talking about right now, this example of one of the most common reasons why 43 and watering letters arise from CAPA issues, no documentation exists explaining why a CAPA was not initiated. This this is the regulatory equivalent of one of the most common reasons why regulatory submissions, 510K, de novo, PMAs, and so on, are rejected because a uh, section is omitted. Yes. Put yourself in the shoes of the reviewer. If a section is omitted, they have no idea why it was omitted. Was it omitted because it was not applicable, or did you just forget about it? Right. Put yourself in the shoes of the inspector. There's no documentation why the CAPA was not started. Was it not, not started because you don't know what a CAPA is, or you've forgot about it or it, it you know it's not applicable and here's the reasons why a lot of recurring themes here and this is why i say john and it's you know, maybe kind of strange coming from an, uh, a regulatory consultant we do not need more regulation we've got thousands and thousands and thousands of pages of that what we need is people uh, thinking and understanding the regulation not just the words what the regulation is but more important the intent right absolutely let's move on to, to, to the last and perhaps the most important part of this discussion, John, and then we can wrap this up. Um, and you mentioned it earlier in our discussion. How do we measure the effectiveness or what I call the efficacy of our CAPA system? How do you know if your CAPA system is working? Because um, after all, I'm sure most, if not all of the companies in our audience today listen, you know, they have a quality management system. A portion of the QMS probably involves CAPA. And I'm sure that, you know, that ticks the regulatory requirements on the box. And Yet at the very beginning, we said that this is number one reason why companies get 483s and warning letters. So clearly, we have you know companies that have these systems, but these systems are not working. So, John, what are your thoughts? What are your advice on how what you owe a company uh, to to make sure that their CAPA system is working? This may sound a bit utopian, um, and I'll go with it for a moment. But if I go to the the effort of addressing a systemic issue through a CAPA investigation and I identify the root cause and uh, I implement corrections and corrective actions and whatnot. At the end of the day, I hope that those measures that I took prevent that thing from becoming an issue again. That's what I should strive for with an effective CAPA system. But I, I just I, I don't think that's the case. I think, you know, for things we've already discussed already today, I think a lot of folks, you know, they're they're slapping some band-aids on it. They're, they're doing some things and they get, you know, maybe some false positives along the way. And it says, oh, look, we did this thing and it didn't rear its ugly head again until it does. And, and I think, you know, so if, if an infraction or an issue or an event, whatever uh, the, the right word is, if that event happens Again, after I've already addressed it with a CAPA, that's, a, to me, a pretty clear indication that my CAPA system might not be all that effective. So, again, I think my goal of, of taking on a CAPA is to mitigate this so it doesn't happen again. That's, the, to me, the, the best measure of effectiveness. But that's certainly a good measure of effectiveness, and that's a suggestion that I give to my customers as well, John. I would like to take that a little bit further, though. So what you just explained there is basically 
the one of the regulatory requirements that I read earlier, the verification and validation of your your kappa. In other words, how do you make sure that the same problem or a similar problem doesn't happen again in the future? That would be use a post market surveillance uh, analogy. Yeah. That would be passive post market surveillance. The question is. Now, you know, post-market surveillance, as you know, in Europe, starting in the U.S., that's no longer efficient. Uh, companies are now being required to do active post-market surveillance where you don't, don't simply sit around twiddling your thumbs waiting for problems to be reported to you. You actually yeah. go out and, and look for them. So here's my active way of measuring the efficacy of your of your uh, almost a post-market surveillance system, but your CAPA system. There's a lot of similarities. Fire drill. You remember when you were a kid, John, in elementary school, you didn't wait until, God forbid, there was a fire in the building. And then all of a sudden, you know, they figure out how to get the kids out. You had a fire drill so that, you know, in the event of a fire, you would know what to do. I have made this suggestion to many companies in the past, John, and I would love to hear your thoughts on, as a quality guy. Purposely inject a problem into your system, a complaint, for example, a fictitious example, and then track that problem to see how it's handled through your complaint handling system. Does it initiate a kappa? Does the kappa then, you know, get investigated properly and in, in, in so on and so on? In other words, don't just simply fix problems that you already know about. Create a fictitious problem uh, and report it, you know, uh, um, feed it into your system and see how your system, uh, you know, responds. We're all used to measuring the efficacy of our medical devices. But how many of us think about measuring the efficacy of our systems, including our quality management system, and more specifically, inclu including our kappa and complaint handling system? No. Do you think that's a reasonable recommendation, John? I think it's a great idea because, you know, I, as you talked about the uh, fire drill, I, I, you know, I used to ride the bus to school. As I'm sure many folks did too. We, we used to do the drills on the bus too, you know, if there was a fire on the bus or yeah. tornado and all that, that sort of thing. I mean, I grew up in the Midwest, but, you know, thankfully none of those things ever happened in real life, but gosh darn it. I feel like as an eight year old kid, I was pretty prepared for if and when they did, you know, which door I was supposed to go out and where I was where I was supposed to meet, you know, muster with the rest of the class and all that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great way. And, and I, and I think another thing, you know, we're talking about cap cap effectiveness kind of goes back to those metrics that I spoke about earlier. I think a lot of companies are measuring the incorrect things with respect to their quality system and specifically with their Kappa. And I think like the classic Kappa metric is, you know, time to close a Kappa and so the way they determine or the way they they state their their system is effective like oh look all of our kappas are below that threshold that we set. I was like well that was a it's kind of a bs threshold to begin with that has no value or meaning to whether or not your process works. Um, so yeah I think we just need to revisit that. So yeah I think it's time everyone should do a kappa on their kappa probably at least on an annual basis. Well, I'm glad you like the idea. And two things. First of all, I agree with you that oftentimes we're using the wrong met metrics. You said, you know, the time to closure. Well, coming from a, a medical background, you know, there's a lot of ways that you can measure the efficacy of a surgical procedure. But usually um, the time to close the patient is not one of them. So I don't think the the emphasis should be here, you know, the amount of time that it takes. But more importantly, um, I'm glad you like the suggestion. And I made that make that suggestion to 
companies, and I do make it a lot, you know, purposely inject a problem to see if your system can can uh, detect it. Some companies say to me, Mike, that's a great idea, but we're not going to do it. <laughs> Any thoughts as to why you think they might not want to do it, John? And I know we got to wrap this. My pause was not for dramatic effects, but um, I'm searching. I, I, I can't imagine why one wouldn't want to improve them. I mean, the, the low-hanging fruit answer is they, they look at quality systems as uh, a checkbox uh, to, quote, demonstrate compliance. And so it's not like they're, you know, they're just trying to satisfy an auditor or, or you know, a regulatory body with respect to their practices. Well, there's two there's two responses that I typically get from people when they say they don't want to do this uh, inj- purposely inject a problem. One is they say, where is it required? Where does it say that I have to do this? And of course, it's not required anywhere. It's my recommendation. The other reason why, which is even the uh, the scarier reason to me, is because they don't want to test their system for fear that they don't get that they get a result that they didn't want. In other words, what if they purposely inject this problem and it turns out that their system does not detect it? Now, what if they done now they have now totally invalidated invalidated their quality management system and now you're you know in a much bigger problem than you had before so uh, i i think it's a great suggestion i'm glad that you agree that it's a good suggestion but like everything there's advantages and disadvantages the last quick thing that i would say john and i know we got to wrap this up uh as i think i've mentioned in some of our conversations before i think the whole emphasis of kappa is back ass words to be blunt corrective action preventative action why do we put the emphasis on correct action i think we should call it a paca a preventive action corrective action this is all about you know, a prospective versus retrospective clinical trial or passive post-market surveillance versus active post-market surveillance. I mean, the, the parallels here to other areas of quality and, 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 and regulatory are just stunning, yes. but it's amazing to how few people see them because they're not thinking in the terms, they're not thinking in what I like to call regulatory logic. Is that done? Or maybe I'm just, you know, this wackadoodle Drews guy who doesn't know what the heck he's talking about. Well, I think the packet is, you know, you and I have talked both on and off the podcast and conversations. Uh, uh, the emphasis is in the wrong place. There's probably probably Duran or, or uh, Deming or, or some father of quality um, is credited with some sort of saying, but along these lines. But, you know, companies always find time to fix problems that happen. They, uh, <laughs> they don't take the time to make sure that the problems never occur in, in the first place. Um, what do they say? An ounce of prevention is worth a, th- a pound of cure? You know, whatever cliche you want to use, they all have a lot of truth. So why don't you wrap this up, John, and we'll, sure. we'll call it a day. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, folks, um, certainly glad that you tuned in to, to hear Mike and I riff a little bit about uh, Kappa. And hopefully you, you take uh, some of the things you heard he and I share with you to heart highly encourage you to do a cap on your capital process. You know, maybe one of the things, the recommendations that you come up with is, Hey, let's call it a PACA. Maybe there are ways that you can inject, you know, sort of these, um, these opportunities into your processes, these uh, fire drills, so to speak, so that you can test and, and confirm with confidence that your processes are robust enough to handle the issues that are, um, you know, um, you know, uh, fictitious so that when you have a real issue, you have confidence. And I think that's what we're looking for with respect to our processes is confidence that they will work and address the needs when we need them to the most. So 
Again, thank you all for listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is uh, your host and founder at Greenlight Guru, John Spear, and of course, Mike Drews, president of Vascular Sciences. So until next time. The best medical device companies don't just follow the rules. They lead with quality. At Greenlight Guru, we try to do the same. Our medical device success platform is based on the latest FDA and ISO standards, as well as the best practices of medical device manufacturers who lead the industry with products of the highest quality. If you're ready to bring safer, better medical devices to market faster, contact greenlight.guru today.